This is Paul Watson, and you're listening to the Fulham Focus podcast. Hello. Well, that was both fun and frustrating to say the least. Despite us being up and away and a point closer to the title, we were seconds away from sealing a Tyson Fury uppercut winner against our old boss. To add further grief, that one millimeter Mitro goal would have been a special way of beating Parker as it would have been a perfect monument to that pissing phrase that we all know, fine margins. But shoulda, coulda, woulda, despite that, what an away day for some of you and what a great atmosphere we brought to the South Coast to celebrate our promotion. With me to discuss our Premier League club are Matt Wiggins and Luke Sargent. Title pending, I'm J-Mac and this is the Fulham Focus Podcast. Fulham. Right, my Focus Fellowship. First and foremost, Wiggo, how are you feeling today? And give us a quick summary how that ranked as an away day for you. I mean, that was my favourite away day of the season. It was great. I spent the weekend down there, went down there Friday and uh, come back today. And we were blessed with some lovely weather as well. Um, and the party was in full swing yesterday at the Bell in um, in Pokesdown. Everyone was really up for the game. And the result really didn't affect the day, surprisingly. You'd think conceding a 98th minute goal would um, be a bit of a kick in the bollocks. But... Actually, it didn't tarnish anything. Everyone still had a fantastic day. And um, yeah, it was brilliant. Definitely my favourite away day of the season. There were some funny songs going around. I think I remember a friendship at one point in the group said that at one point you were singing, you sang Castle Shaggers or something like that. I can't remember. <laughs> what was he saying? Is it something like that? I, I think he was calling Dominic Solanke a Sandcastle Shagger or something along those brilliant. lines. I have no recollection Absolutely of that brilliant. one. To be fair, <laughs> there were a there were a few few charts flying around though. Uh, certain players and managers, um, yeah. won't name names. <laughs> it's pretty obvious, mate. But yeah, I get it. No worries. All right, and Sarge, mate, it's good to see you, mate. What were your opening thoughts, and what did we learn this game? Uh, I'm I'm not sure we learned anything particularly new. We we already knew a lot about Scott Parker. We spent enough time watching his football when he was uh, in our own dugout. Um, and I think we kind of knew what to expect. I don't think we were at our best, were we, in terms of mm. the free-flowing and the, the, the intense pressure that we put on Preston in the week. But that's to be expected when the lads were obviously uh, out on the town Tuesday night, um, as well they deserve to be. Um, so, yeah, it was, it, was, it was the sort of game that I think, the, you know, the ref, the ref had a big influence on how the game panned out. I think that was the, that was the main takeaway from it. Um, in terms of the two teams, I don't think we learned too much. Parker's teams, they try and suffocate you, don't they? That's that's what they do. They try and suffocate the game. And they did that with niggly fouls and we were guilty of it ourselves. One of those games where the result kind of suited both parties, I think. We, we didn't want to lose because we don't want to give them any momentum to try and close the gap on us. And equally, they don't want to lose because they do have to be a little bit aware of Forrest over their shoulder. I think the draw kind of suited everyone in the end. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, Don was certainly saying this on the WhatsApp group. Do you think we go that Parker actually wanted a draw here mainly? Or do you think he was actually looking to win this game? Um, I think he'd have wanted to because, you know, they want to try and be out of sight against Nottingham Forest. They've got some tough games coming up, Bournemouth. Um, Forest had Peterborough yesterday and, you know, 
on paper, it looked like Forest would get a win, which they did. And it just closes that gap even further. So, you know, Bournemouth would want to be as, you know, get as much daylight as they can. Um, did I see any intention from them to win the game? No, not really. We weren't that good. We weren't great either. But as Sarge said, you know, we're out on the town Tuesday night. I think we can forgive them. Um, but yeah, it was all in all, it was it was a bit of a boring game, really. I mean, the first half yeah. didn't offer too much. And I mean, what as Sarge said with this referee, right? So Graham Scott, so another another adversary sort of called Scott. I mean, it's the same guy who sent off Anderson in that game against Newcastle for that Wilson dive, and uh, you know. Seven seven yellow cards this game. Did he? What do you think of his performance there, Sarge, mate? Because I thought, I mean, he's a Premier League, he's a Premier League referee, and we're meant to be going to the promised land where the officiating is a lot better. But we've actually got to go back to this bastard. So it's just quite a funny sort of paradox, isn't it? Yeah. So we've been moaning about Championship referees all season, and we get a Prem one, and he's just as bad as the rest of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's 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 a bit farcical, isn't it? We we've got the least bookings of any team in the league, and then we come into this game and pick up seven. Which is just, it doesn't make any sense. And I know that there was, you know, there were some niggly fans that Joe Bryan had a bit of a, I don't know if the occasion got to him. I don't know if he was uh, a little bit slower to react to things because of, you know, because of the celebration in the week. But he he definitely, he definitely uh, chanced his arm a little bit with what some of his play in the first half, which is why he came off. Um, but I, th- I think it's, 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 it has to be, you have to look at the ref when you've got a team that doesn't really pick up bookings and all of a sudden they're getting seven. And again, some of them for time wasting, but you know, it's it's just a bit of a joke. Bournemouth do pick up a lot of bookings. Their their booking count is is not not towards the bottom of the table in terms of the league. So it's it's mm. to be expected from them. But for us, I, I just I think the referee has a lot to answer for. He didn't let the game flow. He set the tone very early, booked Lewis Cook in the first what thirty seconds or something. Um, right. And that once he does that, he's he's got to, he's got to book everybody because he's he's not given anyone. First foul, as you know, as they say, um, and I do think that the Cook booking was a booking, but I think there's something to be said for managing a game. Referees, they have to manage a game, and you can say it doesn't matter if it's the first minute or the last minute. A foul is a foul, a booking's a booking. But when you when you do put a booking out there in the first eighty seconds, you just set yourself up for the rest of the game to have to follow suit. Otherwise, mm. you know what what are you doing? I think he he can't he killed himself really with that with that early booking. Yeah, it's a shame. It's a it's a real shame. But I mean, nonetheless, let's go on to the positive news when Mitro scored. I mean, what was that like for you, Wigo, seeing that? I mean, I mean, it didn't really feel like it went in. Obviously, fine margins and all that. I mean, talk me through it. I thought the referee gave a free kick. Honestly, <laughs> I, I actually okay. did. I was like, I don't know why everyone's cheering. It's not a penalty. It's a free kick. And then you see all the players start running over and celebrating. I'm like, oh, it's a goal. And then everyone starts going mad. Um, but yeah, initial thought was what a save oh the ref's given a free kick don't know what that's for um mm. yeah it, you know not a lot more to say on it. it it was fantastic when it went in when it went in sort of the um <laughs> the scenes of jubilation in the away end were fantastic and everyone was going yeah, mad but good. um it was very surprising yeah I, I sort of wasn't expecting a goal there at all it really caught us off guard um but you know, what a header and a brilliant cross from Wilson and Mitrovic in the right place again, beat his defender. And I think you've got to give it to Travers in a way because it was a fantastic save, just a couple mm. of millimetres too late. Um, 
unfortunately for him. But, you know, great for us. We got a goal and we went 1-0 up. So it's 41 goals now, man. 41. And so two goals away from breaking Wingham's record. Such, can you just like educate me? Is it three away from Frankie Newton, who's got the all-time let record for uh for I think for scoring in a league in general? I think it's like Yes, it's uh so it's he's two away from the club record, um, which is forty-three in a season. So he could he could match that uh with two more goals, break it with three, and he's one behind oh. Whittingham for the forty-six game season uh scoring record. Um so mm-hmm. he's got forty-one, Whittingham got forty-two. Um, the interesting thing about that is Whittingham played all 46 games when he got those 42 goals. Mitro's played 41, scored 41. He he can't play all 46 games because he's missed some. So right. his goals to games ratio is is I mean I don't, they don't do records for that, but if they did, um, he's definitely he's definitely broken that already. Um, right. So yeah, right. hopefully you know he's got he's got what three games left to bag two goals. He's averaging a goal a game, so. You'd back him to get another three goals this season, which put him on forty-four. Um, if he's in the mood, he might, he might, you know, pick up another one and hit forty-five, which would be a nice round number, wouldn't it? See, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. And also, I mean, the club's now on ninety-nine goals scored, which is match Reading's of five oh six total from their points record uh, on campaign with one hundred and six points. So that's just one more goal to go to reach 100 which is brilliant. Oh, it's just it's very it's so nice at the moment, mate. Uh, I'm gonna quickly go on to the late sucker punch, which was, we talked about the referee and the, you know, the controversy of the game against Newcastle with the Wilson dive. But now we have another sort of Wilson problem here, but it's our very own Harry Wilson. And yeah, I mean, what what were your thoughts when you saw that, Wigger? Did you think that was a pen when you saw it? Um, from the away end, I wasn't sure. I wasn't convinced. Um, but that's, you know, you've got one look at it there, which is what the referee had. And actually, after watching the replays, the referee did make the right decision, I think. I do think it was a penalty, um, which is really annoying because 95 minutes in and it's a clumsy challenge from Wilson, really, um, yeah. to give that away. You know, you, there's just no need for it. He's not in on goal. The defender's in front of him. You've just got to sort of, you know, jockey him out of the box, really, and out away from danger. Um, so it was the right decision, but <clears throat> I think from Fulham's perspective... We've got to look at that as a poor penalty to concede. Um, and I know Marco Silva was going mad about how it wasn't a penalty and he did end up getting sent off. Sent off, yeah. Um, but it, it was it was a penalty. And as crap as Graham Scott is, he did get that one right. And because I would definitely be annoyed if um, that happened to one of our players and we didn't get given a penalty. I think we'd all go mad. So, um, yeah, all in all, right decision. But, yeah, what a sucker punch. Yeah, it's just so frustrating, isn't it, Sarge? Because, I mean, I, I'm quite a superstitious person. I already felt like we were quite... It was getting quite tensed up to that point anyway because Camp, Cantwell basically hit the side netting quite recently before that. And it was like, oh, fuck, OK, right. So, And then as I'm listening to the commentary on TalkSport, I see a magpie and I saluted it. And then it lands next to me again. <laughs> and then literally TalkSport says, penalty to Bournemouth. And I was just like, you've got to be fucking joking. So... Yeah, I, I mean, what I mean, your thoughts it must be. I'm, I imagine you echo Wigo's sentiment on it being just a completely stupid decision and and being the right call. Yeah, very much so. It was it was an it was an attacker desperately trying to defend, wasn't it? And they, you know, yeah. attackers make silly silly decisions in moments like that when they're trying to win the ball back. Um, 
yeah, everything that Wigo said, he, he doesn't need to do that. He shows him out and clears it off. But it's 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 so frustrating because the, the thought process for me is why is he charging back at that point? If we're defending a lead in the 90, I think it was the 94th or 5th minute at the time, mm. why is he not already in behind the ball? Why is he having to make a 20-yard recovery run like that? Um yeah, just yeah. I think we just got a few things wrong in that moment. And Silver mentioned it. He said, you know, he wanted to refresh the front line a bit as the game went on. But because he'd had to take off Brian on the booking, Harris and Reed got a booking. The way the referee was refing the game, you couldn't risk leaving those players on, you know, for them to get a red card. And then you're really in trouble if one of them gets sent off with, you know, 45 an hour to uh, half an hour to go then you're really up against it. So he had to, he was sort of forced into those changes, which meant that he couldn't refresh the front line and press from the front. So it, it all kind of adds up. It, it's one of those, but I think all of us are kind of in the same boat where if you're going to give away a 95th minute penalty and concede the lead, this is the time to do it because we're up, we're going to win the league. Mm. You know, it's, it's happy days at the moment, regardless of what happens up down there. Yeah, and I think when you saw Marco Silva lose his head um, and basically get sent off, you just got to sort of just nudge him a little bit and actually remind ourselves of and him what the actual scenario is and that we're up and that we're gonna we're three points away from the title. So I do not, love that. I, yeah, I love I love the mean? passion, even though it's sort of like sewn up. He still he wants to squeeze every last bit out of this season, and that that's like there's something to be said for that. I, I can't remember who I heard say this, but success and everything that comes with it is a habit. And mm. if you can maintain that habit, that, that's a good thing. If he's still going for every single thing he can with three games to go when promotion's sewn up, the league title's pretty much sewn up. If he still wants it that badly, that's, that's a sign of a, a good manager. And hopefully that's the sort of thing that will lead us to success next season, whatever that may be relatively to, to what we've experienced before. Yeah, and I, I want to actually just bring in a tweet that I saw from Tom Franklin at FFC Tom, so take a bow for this. It just says, I just want to take this moment to thank Marco Silva for putting Fulham in a position where we have conceded in the eighty at the 98th minute to Scott Parker and I couldn't give a fuck. Truly blessed. So that's that's quite, that's that's very telling, I think. Um, yeah, I, going from our manager to theirs, we go. should I, I was thinking that maybe, our, I, I was certainly thinking this when we were winning. That after this game, I'm going to put the Scott Parker hate to bed. I think you know it, it should it should now end. Now we've done our two games of each other this season, uh, but now he's got the draw, and I've seen the comments afterwards. What what are your thoughts on this? I mean, I, I'm looking for a bit of therapy here, maybe as a lot of uh, Fulham fans are. I mean, I, I could see his comments after the game very interesting, saying you know there always has to be a hero and a villain painted, and he said how it actually hurts him, but. At the same time, and I know I know certainly Sarge has an opinion on this, like he did go out in a very unsavory fashion, didn't he? So I don't really know where this do you think it's time for us to maybe put this Scott Parker sort of rivalry to bed now we've had this season and clearly are gonna go up as champions? Fingers crossed. Um I can see why people want it put to bed. Personally, no. I think the fact the fact he left Mitrovic out <laughs> last year is uh, totally unforgivable in any sense. And, you know, if he was still our manager, Mitrovic wouldn't be here this season. I think we all know that. I said I was on a uh, Bournemouth YouTube show on Friday night and um, 
I said to them, uh, you know, coming into this season, the club felt very toxic, felt very disconnected. Um, it, it felt like when we got relegated in 2014, everything just felt awful and, yeah, very mm. toxic. Um, and it was a right decision for him to move on. But to try and take credit for this season and say that this is his team and he's built the foundations for this. I mean, he is taking the piss, surely. <laughs> I mean, you know, how many lone players do we have last year that have gone? Fine, you know. But <clears throat> to freeze out legends like McDonald, Johansson, all right, they might not have been good enough for the Premier League, but McDonald got banned from the dressing room. Mitrovic was on the bench when Cavalero was up front, you know. And all right, you've got a certain style of system you want to play. That's fair enough. But look at the guy this season. He scores 41 goals in the championship and he's going to be our yeah. main man next season. I just I just think his ego, he put his ego above anything else. And for that, I think it's unforgivable. And whether you want to put the rivalry to bed or not, I will never forgive him. Um, and that's that's my opinion on it. And that will always be my opinion. That will, I'll never change if I like him or not, because I won't. Because, yeah, unforgivable. Apparently, he applauded the uh, you, you you guys when uh, he was like singing abuse. <laughs> Did you just? Yeah, that, went, that went well. I I yeah. I <laughs> may or may or may not have applauded back. Not yeah, going right. to give any insight into uh, my actions when that happened. <laughs> fair enough. Okay, fair enough. And so, I mean, anything you'd like to add to that, mate? I just I, I put this out on Twitter and um and I think I feel like a few people agreed with me in the sense that it, it got a bit of reception. So my my viewpoint on it is I can I can forgive most of what happened last season. I think he was genuinely trying to do what he thought would work. He was wrong. He got it wrong. Um, but he he went into last season as the manager of Fulham with the best intentions trying to keep the club up. It didn't happen. I can forgive all of that. Where it all falls down for me is, is that when he then decided that he didn't want to be Fulham manager anymore and that Bournemouth was a more attractive proposition, rather than handing his resignation and say, look, this isn't for me. I can't work with Tony Khan or me and the club have different views on how to approach this and whatever, whatever it was, whatever it was that he felt meant that he was better off somewhere else. What he should have done is stepped down, said, this isn't for me. I've got another job at Bournemouth and off you pop. And I think most of the fan base would have gone, yeah, fair enough. We don't really want to watch your football anymore. You did your best. It didn't work. Have a nice life. But the sure. fact that he then tried to hang out for a payoff from Fulham, he basically tried to hang in there and let, make us sack him and have to pay him severance pay and then walk into another job and get paid again by Bournemouth. That's where it all sours for me. That's where he's, he's soured the relationship. And as for it being over after the weekend's game, it's not, is it? Because we're going to play them again next season because they are going to come up with us. And now it's going to be about, right, he failed in the Premier League as Fulham manager. Can this Fulham squad of players, which is relatively similar to the squad of players he has, but that's where the similarities in the teams ends. Um, can this squad now do better than what he did with them? And I think they will. They'll make a better fist of it. They'll certainly go out fighting in, a, in more of a way than his team did, if that is what is to be the ultimate end of it. But I actually think we'll, we'll, we'll do quite well next season, relatively speaking. Um, 
that that's going to continue and the games that we play against I mean the Premier League are going to hold probably about as much weight as this season's ones but instead of obviously fighting for the title and fighting for promotion we're probably going to be looking at Bournemouth as six points that help us move towards the target of staying up I just say as well sort of following on from my rant I don't uh I, I do believe that he did put 100% effort in like as you say Sarge I kind of forgot to mention that bit um and that he did want us to keep us up you know I don't think you can doubt that there was passion there I think after Liverpool away we all believed we were going to stay up didn't we we all thought we're good enough the passion was there everyone felt united um unfortunately it didn't work out for you know obviously all the different reasons but yeah, he can't fault his passion and his effort at the time. But then, as you say, the whole uh, chasing severance bit is uh, pretty sour as well. And it ju- does leave that sort of sour ending um, on it to what could have been a sort of respectable parting. Um, yeah, he then tried to fleece us. Mm. I think we'll move on now, just because uh, we've talked about him to death. And, like, you know, I'm still undecided whether I'll put it to bed or not. But I feel like that was a really good, nice summary from you. Too. I know you're shaking your head, but it's fine. Um, but we'll, we'll quickly move on. I mean, there were lots of positives to take from this game, despite the draw and stalemate. Um, I thought Tim Ream and Adarabayo had a very good partnership together. I thought when Robinson came on, taking on for Brian, he actually looked very composed and, um, you know, and. Wigo, you nodding is actually a huge, huge thing there because, you know, you and Robinson have an uneasy relationship at the best of times. So, you know, but what I will say as well, which is very important to mention, that this was Harrison Reed's 100th game for us. Um, so, you know, take a bow, Harrison. And, you know, the wait for a first goal goes on because Robin Lawler played 304 times for Fulham between 1949 and 1962. And it's the most, it's the most games a player has played without scoring for us. Um, I, I mean, I'm, Go to you, Sarge. Do you think that goal's as far away as we think now? I mean, I think he's probably due a goal very soon. And also, just generally, I would say that Harrison Reed's best role, we can all just pretty much agree on, is actually the sort of cleaner-upper. I remember you talking in detail about the um, Jorginho sort of uh, role that he has at Chelsea once, Sarge, and talking about Just explain to me what you think Harrison Reed can do for us in the Premier League. Yeah, in, t- in terms of the goal, I don't think we're any closer to the goal than we were when, we, when he started. <laughs> um, he's... <laughs> He he he's got into more positions where he might score, but I, I don't think he's uh, he's certainly not what you call a natural finisher. He's he's got a lot of talent. Um, he's a very important member of this team. He's one of the first names on the team sheet if I'm manager. Um, but yeah, goal scoring is not one of them. In terms of his his role, it, it's tricky. He's he's played two roles this season, hasn't he? He's he's played the sort of the six deep line ball winning midfielder. Um, breaks up play and then he he's not just he's not Dixon a two who he doesn't just win the ball back and lay it off five yards to his more talented mate he wins the ball back and yeah. he starts play he's got he's got more to his game than that he's got a good range of passing he's a very intelligent player um, he moves the ball quickly and the thing I really like about Harrison Reed is even in a Scott Parker team I know we've moved on from him but even in that team he his first thought is, can I move the ball forwards? He's not a sideways or backwards player. He does always look to move the ball forwards. And that's a massive thing. And he spots those spaces. Um, and that's why he's really good in that deep line role. We've, we've played Seri there and sort of played Harrison Reed alongside him, doing more box-to-box work. And Seri's really good because he's very good at finding those passes. And his range of passing is phenomenal. It, it supersedes that of Harrison Reed, But he's not as good at the other stuff that Harrison does. And I think Harrison mm-hmm. Reed is 
better at winning the ball back and then starting play than Seri is. Seri is good once you've got possession and you've established control of the ball. Um, it'll be interesting to see what we do next season. I think the way that the way that Seri plays is probably more like what Jorginho does. But I think when you right. play for Chelsea, you've got a bit more freedom to do that. I think they're, they're going to have the ball most of the time. And when we've been in the championship, we've been able to afford Seri that time on the ball. Um, I don't think we'll have that same time when we move up to the Premier League. And it will probably be that if Seri is still part of the plans, and I hope he is because I think it's been a great renaissance for him. Um, sure. If he is going to be part of the plans, he, he, will, he will have to play with someone else back there with him, helping him out on the other side of the game. Um, but Harris, Harrison has that that ability to, to break up play and move things forward. He can do both. And I think that is his best position at this point. It's just a case of how you use others around him, how you get the best out of other players around him, because he he is the first one on the team sheet for me in that midfield. Well, that being said, I mean, we have been linked already to quite a few uh, central defensive midfielders, but also more sort of just regular ones, sort of box-to-box sort of midfielders. And like one that actually has just come up recently, Wigo, is obviously Savage. Um, I thought originally when Savage was mentioned, I thought that was the one from Atletico pulled on Jack Grealish's hair recently. But no, it's 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 Micho's uh, counterpart from Serbia. Um, I'm not too sure about this rumor, to be honest. I feel like actually we were in for his brother, who's the goalkeeper, and it's sort of maybe spread out a little bit and become a bit um, embellished. But I mean, th- that's uh, that is the sort of quality that you're probably after to go next to Harrison Reed, as Sarge alluded to, isn't it? It's almost so good that it's totally, totally unrealistic because you just, you know, he's one of them. He's a bit like Serie in a way. He's been linked with Barcelona and, you know, all the big clubs. United, yeah. He just can't fathom the fact that he'd come to Fulham. But if he did, it would possibly be the greatest day in Fulham transfer history. (laughs) God knows how much he'd cost. We but, said that about Seri, I think, as well. <laughs> yeah, which we're actually seeing the the rewards for now. That of is, course. yeah. Unfortunately, it's taken a few years for that one. But um, yeah, yeah, I mean, how amazing that would be. Um, I mean, his brother doesn't sound half bad either. First choice for Torino, um, six for eight apparently, which is just ridiculous. You know, wouldn't even need to dive; just stick his arm out. Um, yeah. But yeah, Sergei Milinkovic Savic. I mean, he's a great player from what I've seen of Lazio, and I will be honest. That's not much. I'm not a regular watcher of Serie A football. Um, hey, just look at who but... scored, mate. It's perfect. He's still, yeah, what a great link. And, you know, I've seen a lot of things, though, which are probably right. It's uh, this year's sort of Gerard Piquet link, isn't it? You yeah, know, well, totally unrealistic. But, I mean, how great that would be. Well, another link is also a guy called Eric, um, I might slaughter this name, Gutierrez, uh, um, who's a Mexican from P- PS- uh, PSV. Um, very, I mean, good stats and all that. I mean, it seems if we're going for these central midfielders that actually it alludes to what Saj said in a, pod, a couple of pods ago about us maybe going for twin eights attacking rather than a number 10 because of Carvalho being gone. But this is where I'm just going to start a little bit of a gossip mill to you, Sarge, that there's, Marco Silva called it a technical decision, not a tactical decision, a technical decision that Nico Williams didn't start. And there have been rumours that Carvalho hasn't actually decided yet. And it, and uh, there's been a sort of spin on Twitter. And I know Twitter is complete, absolute, complete nonsense most of the time. 
But do you think there's any likelihood that now we've been promoted, Carvalho's had his head turned and this decision has gone through to Liverpool and Liverpool said, well, you can't play Nico Williams then if that's the case? I don't know. I'm just I'm just spouting some gossip. I, I think that, to me, it comes across as like conspiracy theories. I, I don't Fair think enough. so. Um, look, Fabrizio Romano said, here we go. So as far as I'm concerned, it's done. <laughs> um, but um, yeah. Yeah, I just, I, I don't think so. I don't think that, uh, uh, I don't think Liverpool would have any ability to enforce that. Like, they could say it. They could say, oh, we don't want you to play him anymore. You, we forbid you. Um, but I don't know how they, how do they enforce that? How, what what can they actually do? Um, they could recall him, but we're already up. So, all right. That's take right. Take him back for the last three games and Kenny Tete will do just fine, I'm sure. I think, we, we played a Bournemouth team. They, they do like to get the ball wide. They do like to attack those areas. They do like to play on transitions. And I think when you've got a wing-back like uh, Nico Williams, and I think this is why Joe Bryan started as well, Nico Williams starts up higher the pitch, same way that Anthony Robinson does on the left. And I think the idea was Joe Bryan and Tete just have a slightly deeper starting position. They leave less space in behind them for Bournemouth to try and you know attack us in the transitions. So I think that was probably where it was. And I think he said technical. I think that's just a, a language thing. You know, it's not English okay. in its first language. I think it's probably just one of those. That's my opinion on it. I don't know. Um, I would love Fabio to say, um, if Liverpool said, if you keep Fabio, you can't have Nico Williams next season. If, if any sort of deal is in place for that, I would I would accept that as well, because I think Kenny Tete is ready-made for the Premier League. Uh, it's a different profile of fullback, perhaps not quite as attacking, but we're going to be doing more defending next season anyway. Um, so, I, if, if you know, if, if you offered me Fab or Nico, I'm, I'm taking Fab, but I don't think that's going to be the case. Yeah, fair enough. I, I think I, I just thought we'd mention it briefly, just in case it does happen, and we look really good on our pod just saying that. Actually, we talked about it, uh, but no, I don't think it's going to happen at all either, really. But you never know. Um, and the other link today, just just for anyone listening, is that. We're in the race for a centre-back from FC Cone for Timo Hubers. No idea who he is. No idea how good he is. Who scored says he's all right, so he must be okay. And Palace and Leeds are in the running. Um, if we are getting that sort of centre-back, I'm guessing that's maybe for squad depth as opposed to actually a regular star who actually is Premier League experience. But anyway, after this break, we'll go on to a quick Forest preview, all right? Fulham. And welcome back. So, yeah, Forest on Tuesday night. Both of you lads are going. They sit at the moment third in the form table. Um, Dylan, in the notes here, is, is annoying me because he said that, you know, this should this should be quite a straightforward win. And I, I, I can't I can't ever say that, especially when they're, they're doing so well at the moment. They seem to be having a season that sort of replicates our season in 17-18, just got absolutely smashing it in the last the last business end of the bit of the season. Um, at the moment, I'm just going by their last game, just so you've got a clear view, lads. I mean, you're only as good as your last match. In the last match, they had Brennan Johnson up front with Surridge, and, you know, they're playing a 3-5-2, uh, beg your pardon. It seems that Ben Johnson is sort of probably the most in-form player at the moment. I mean, he played mostly as a centre-forward this season, but he can play all along this attacking midfield, left-wing, right-wing, but he seems very, very good. Just your general thoughts on this game, Sergio. I don't think it's going to be as straightforward as uh, Dylan thinks it is, but I mean, who knows? I mean, we have a good record with Forrest, but it just does seem that Steve Cooper's really flying with them at the moment, and there is definitely hunger there to actually try and catch Bournemouth. Yeah, I think it's um, 
it's going to be a tough game. There, any any time you play a team that's in form and they've got belief, that it's always going to be difficult to break that. Even if you go one nil up, they're still going to come at you. Um, it's it's funny because we went to the away game, obviously, and even though we we beat them quite handily, it it wasn't as comfortable as the scoreline suggested. Even then, um, yeah. the first half was very tight, and it was very much a case of whoever gets the next goal going into the second half. We won it up at halftime, weren't we? Um, and it was very much whoever gets the next goal could really ride out the momentum. It, it happened to be us, and, and then we never really looked back. They started to leave spaces. We exploited them. But they're, they're obviously a good side. To, to come from where they were, they had an awful start to the season. And now they are, they are right up there. It's, you know, they, they've shown that the championship season really doesn't kick in until after Christmas. Um, and if you can go on a good run, then you can always put yourself in the mix. So I think it's going to be a tough game. I, I've got a feeling that we'll probably we'll probably end up with a draw here. I think they're going to be after it a little bit more than we will. We've you know, we've we've got our promotion sorted. We're very close to winning the league. This is this is a tough game. I think come out of this relatively unscathed, and I think we can secure secure the title against Luton. Yeah, I've I've got the same feeling, mate. If I'm being honest, I feel like a draw in this as well, which is I know a very boring thing for the host of a Fulham podcast uh, to say, but I do feel like it could be maybe two two this game. I feel I I don't know, Wigger. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, I, Cooper hasn't he's lost only four times since the start of November. That's a bit, you know. Can I be worried? <laughs> well, they're a good side, obviously. You know that it, they are where they are in the league, and apparently, if uh, I, read, I saw something on Twitter the other day. It was um, since Cooper has taken over. If you were, if that was the season, Forest would be top of the league, and we'd be right. second. I think a point behind. Um, so, and that, I'm not sure if that was before or after yesterday. I think it was before. So, uh, yeah, he's he's done a fantastic job. But what I, what, the way I look at it is that they were on form when we played them last time, and now, as you said, Sarge about. Yeah, it was a tight knit game, which in fairness it was, but we took our chances and came away four nil winners and you know, they sort of rolled over by the end of it. Um so they're gonna be bang up for it, they're gonna to wanna to catch Bournemouth. Um but as for throwing the game away, I, which I've seen some people say, no, I, no. I wanna to, want us to get Especially as many not now. As, Especially not now. No, exactly. I want us to get as many points as we can. And also the way I look at it, away day in Bournemouth or away day in Nottingham, I'd definitely rather go to Bournemouth next season if I had to choose between <laughs> the two. But I do think Forest would stand more of a chance of winning the playoffs than Bournemouth would. I don't think Bournemouth would win the playoffs if they finished in there. But I do think Forest will. Um but yeah, they're a fantastic side. And as you said about Brennan Johnson, he's really uh, come into his own this season. Spent last year on loan at Lincoln um, and had a really great season there and has come back and been given a chance on the side. And uh, he's really showing, uh, you know, the faith in him was justified. And I think that if Forrest don't go up, I'd be surprised if Brennan Johnson isn't a Premier League player next season yeah. uh, at all. I know Brentford were linked with him in January. Um, I mean, and I think they'll be linked with him again if they don't go up. So it'll be, he's a very good player. Um, yeah, it's going to be a tough 20, game. I think we can do it. Yeah, all right. I mean, going on to Brennan Johnson, he's 20 years old, he's Welsh, so he's British, and he's like, you know, 15 goals and nine assists in 42 games. That's brilliant. And um, I think we probably could win. I just, I'm just unsure. I mean, we've seen them play against the big dogs in the FA Cup recently, and they've been so good. Um, and I think they'll treat this 
quite similarly because obviously we're the champions. Well, soon to be anyway. And in terms of a score, we go, what are you predicting? Oh, now that's a tough one. Uh, I'm going to say 2-1. And I do think Mitrovic will uh, equal Whittingham's record. I do think he'll score again, but it's going to be a tough old game. So, yeah, actually, going to you, Sarge, if we do win this, do you reckon there'll be another pitch invasion? Because that would actually technically make us champions then? Or would it make... It depends what happens at Swansea with Bournemouth, of course. But, yeah, I guess could invade the pitch again, I suppose. And then the title would be lifted at Luton. Is that right? Yeah, I think I think the title would be lifted at Luton regardless of what happens midweek. But I don't... I don't the pitch invasion, I don't know. It, it would ruin it a bit, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like it wouldn't be very organic if it happened again. It wouldn't It wouldn't be the same. I feel like if it happened again, it would be because people have kind of gone, we're going we're gonna to do it again because it was fun last week. Um, <laughs> as opposed to it sort of being like that outpour of emotion. I feel like Tuesday, I know there was a bit of, like there was chat on sort of Twitter in the day leading up to it. It's like, you know, if we win tonight, we're on the pitch, pass it on sort of thing. And then the crowd were chanting it, but it did feel like the way the game went and the celebratory atmosphere of the game, once we were sort of two nil up and it was pretty much in hand, it felt quite organic. It, everyone was kind of itching to get on there. Like it was like, yes, we're going to do this and let's celebrate and let's really make a big night of it. I feel like if we did it again, it, it wouldn't be as organic. It would be a little bit, just, I just, I, I don't think it would be the same. I, I, I wouldn't be, uh, I wouldn't be in favour of it again. Look, if it happens, it happens. I'm not going to tell anyone how to celebrate and how not to celebrate, but I do think it's an isolated incident. It's for special occasions. And I think, We've done it once. I don't think you can do it twice in a season and it has the same, the same impact, the same merit. It won't feel the same, if, especially when it's only a week later. How much more exciting can it be to run onto the grass when you did it last week? But you, you didn't get on the crossbar last week, Sarge. I did not get on the crossbar. <laughs> My friend Craig was desperate for me to get on the crossbar. The problem is, is I'm a teacher and a few of the <laughs> students that I teach were at the game. And so I had to finally balance myself between absolute euphoria and not missing out on what is an ex- an excellent experience of throwing myself wholeheartedly into the celebrations but also knowing that we're back from Easter break on Monday and the yeah. kids need to have some level of maybe not respect for me I don't know how much they respect me anyway <laughs> but at least some level of understanding that I am an adult fair enough okay that's that's fair enough mate that's fair enough yeah I'm, I'm with you and I, I hope we won't get crucified too much by all the the young guns for the Fulham fan base at the moment, you know, sort of, you know, with limbs and all that kind of stuff. But no, I think, I think it would, uh, it would feel weird just running on the pitch when we're already promoted. I mean, we'll, we'll see, we'll see, maybe, maybe, but that makes me, makes me worry that we're going to draw <laughs> because, uh, because, just because I can't see us actually going on the pitch again, but we'll see, we'll see. And um, we go just over to you quickly. It's the EFL awards tonight, which we're hoping Mitro's going to bag all of them. Uh, is there any update on that or is it still ongoing at the moment? Uh, I think it's still ongoing at the moment, but I mean, I'd be surprised if uh, Mitrovic doesn't get if Mitrovic doesn't get Championship Player of the Season, then the whole thing's an absolute farce. Because you imagine if Solanke got it, just, it's never going to happen. Goals, but just, <laughs> fourteen goals ahead of Solanke. I mean, it, it would just happen. it would just be awful, wouldn't it? It would be the biggest robbery in football. I mean, no, it wouldn't, wouldn't happen. Get get out of it. I'd be even more excited to get out of the EFL uh, if he didn't win that. So, it's, and then Fabio's the up for young player as well. And, then, and, and Harry Wilson's up for uh, player of the season. Yeah, Fabio's up for young player against Brennan Johnson and 
Jed Spence, I think, who's, you know, ex-Fulham, he's at Forest as well. So there's some exciting young players in the Championship. Um, and Jed Spence was obviously one of ours and we let him go. Um, and, you know, yeah. he's on loan as well, which is crazy, crazy And we're playing think. him on Tuesday, so that's, that's yeah. you know, a bit worrying. Middlesbrough have got some I mean, decent right-backs. You know, Spence, Isaiah Jones. It's going to be very interesting to see what Jed Spence's future looks like at Middlesbrough next season because mm. you wonder if they'll want to keep him and really go for a promotion push next season if they don't get in the playoffs or will they cash in on him? Because you know Forrest would be interested if they go up. And then you yeah, see him make with Arsenal and Spurs as well. And it's just one of them where you think, oh, we let him get away, as we have done with many uh, young players who have gone on to achieve good things. Um, mm. It's football, isn't it? At the end of the day, you can't foresee the future. But, you know, Jed Spence is doing the business right now and fair play to him. Oh, fair play to him. But I still hope he loses on Tuesday. And I was going to say really quickly, is there a documentary coming out? Is it and it, like there's a documentary of our season which I'm so grateful for because this has been one of the best seasons ever as a Fulham fan. But I didn't know it was being recorded throughout the whole season. And I also didn't realize. I mean, it's not something that's going to go to Amazon Prime. It's like, do you think it's purely for the website, Sarge? Is it something just something for the fans? I think it's something from what I've the, the like limited information I've gathered. I believe it's like a they picked it up not at the start of the season. It's more like based on the running. I think the media right. team have just been getting themselves in the dressing rooms and stuff. It, it, it looks like it has a bit of an all or nothing feel to it. Um, but they do, they, they do like sort of player blogs where they basically hand like a camera to a player for a period of a day. And I know Cabano's done a few that have gone on YouTube that are quite popular. You, you know, he's a good character. Course, yeah. He's quite funny. Um, I think there'll be some of that sort of stuff in there as well. Just based on like the little bits of info they've released. It'll be interesting to see what it is um and and how in depth it goes i really enjoyed the um the team talk that sort of went out onto the internet after the the game last tuesday when marco was talking to players after they secured promotion i think fans love to see that that sort of access that's what you want isn't it you want to know the ins and outs you want to know as much as possible obviously clubs have to keep stuff guarded you want to be giving away your secrets to the opposition but anytime Mm -hmm. you can sort of get a little bit of insight be a fly on the wall in the dressing room see how these people you know, how they work, what makes them tick. That's, it's always great view. And I think when you've got a manager as passionate as Marco Silva, um, it's, it's going to make for very entertaining view. And so I'm looking forward to seeing what, what it is they pull together. But I think it is focused on the run-in rather than the, the course of the whole season. I think there'll be a little bit of uh, more sort of social, casual elements to it where players nice. are kind of in charge of the camera, which again is a nice thing to see. You know, I think it's very easy to forget sometimes that footballers are, you know, are living, breathing human beings with a sense of humour and a bit of character amongst themselves. So it'll be good to see that. Yeah. Anything that can just like keep this season immortalised as much as possible that we can always look back on is fine with me. All right, guys. Well, look, it's been really lovely to see you. Um, and I, I will speak again soon. We are going to be back. We'll be back. Thank you very much to my co-host and thank you to Dylan for producing. We'll be back on allegedly for a post-show against Lut- uh, our post-show for Luton, but we might... We'll see. We might have a special pod if we have become champions in the midweek, but we'll see. But thank you very much for listening. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends about us. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple. And yeah, just give us a tweet if you have got a question for us. And we'll see you soon. Cheers.